Good morning everyone, it's great to be here this morning um, at Kingsway. Uh, I met Pastor uh, John quite a couple of years ago now I think and um, yes and so uh, when he sent me this invitation to come and speak it's always a privilege to open the Word of God, Amen. It's always a privilege to uh, be able to uh, expound the Word of God. And so as we do that this morning let's come before the Lord in prayer shall we? Father, we just thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. We thank you, Lord, for the sunshine this morning uh, that shines to brighten up our lives. But we thank you for the, your Son who brought light into our lives, Almighty God. And we pray, Father, as we look into your word this morning, Lord, that you will be glorified. Lord, that you will teach us. You will touch us as we've just sang. And Lord, that as we, uh, as we look into your word, if there's people here that need a fresh touch from you this morning, Lord, I pray that they will receive it. If there's anyone here hurting this morning, anyone grieving, anyone not feeling too close to you this morning, Lord, I pray, Father, that your spirit will touch them afresh this morning and that they will leave here knowing that they have met with Jesus. We thank you in his precious name. Amen, amen. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Uh, book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 27 together. And um, if I can just get that second slide there. The theme of Daniel is that there is a God in heaven. How many believe that? Amen. There is a God in heaven. And uh, if you look at uh, chapter 2 verse 28 we see there. Uh, However there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. And uh, we know that God has revealed in his word what's going to take place in the latter days for us today. And uh, we learn in verse 17 of chapter 4 that God is con in control. God is sovereign in every situation. God is in control. Now as we look at uh, the book of Daniel, we see that in 605 BC, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he went into Jerusalem and he took away the, the nobility. And Daniel and his three friends were part of that nobility that was taken away to uh, Babylon. And he sent them to the Babylonian University for three years and they studied, studied there the cultures of Babylon. And yet, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, later known as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and Daniel, Belteshazzar, would not conform to the culture. They lived in Babylon, but they did not conform to the culture. And so, uh, and we, we, we have the saying today, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. And that's what we are as Christians. So, as we look at uh, Daniel and his character, Daniel was a man of character. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of praise. He was a man of prophecy. And all of this character he had for the whole of his life. Daniel never faltered. There's nothing 
anything negative spoke about Daniel in scripture as of some other leaders and so uh, we look at these young men around about 15 years of age being taken into captivity with the, uh, maybe hundreds or thousands of other people and uh, Daniel is uh, brought before the king King Nebuchadnezzar this great king the ruler of the known world at that time in history but as Shakespeare once said uneasy lies the head that wears a crown uneasy lies the head that wears a crown and Nebuchadnezzar was uneasy Nebuchadnezzar was troubled in his spirit Nebuchadnezzar found it difficult to sleep because of the dreams that he had and now as we look at chapter 3 we see that Nebuchadnezzar has built himself a, a big statue a big idol but as we come to this passage we see that as uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were told to bow before this idol they would not bow they would not bend and as we will learn they would not burn uh, I remember hearing the song by Johnny Cash I think it was earlier recorded by the Statler brothers back in the 70s long before I became a Christian and these words never uh, left me from that song it kind of indelibly placed on my mind they would not bend they would not bow and they would not burn yes. and friends I pray that for you this morning no matter what situation you find yourself in that you will not bow yes. you will not bend and you will not burn glory to God and so here Nebuchadnezzar uh, wears the crown he's been told in chapter 2 uh, that in, uh, this, in his first dream uh, this chapter the, of, of the, uh, uh, the head of gold which was Babylon then Medo-Persia the silver and then uh, Greece onto the bronze and then the iron and the clay which was later to be uh, Rome and uh, it seems that since that time of the uh, translation or the interpretation of that dream he's become more big-headed and more powerful and he's, he's built this whole statue of gold as if to say to God in heaven my kingdom won't just last for a season my kingdom will last forever and of course we're learning in chapter 4 that that's not the case when he gets his undoing so the message tonight is they would not bend they would not bow they would not burn but also I guess we could subtitle it how to keep cool when the heat is on how to keep cool when the heat is on and so let's look at verses 1 through 6 together and then we'll kind of unfold that Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors the counselors, the treasurers, the judges the magistrates and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the, to, to the dedication 
of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psalter, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. How many know that, um, you know, when, when you stand out, when you're not conforming to what other people expect you to conform to, there's always someone there to dub you in. Always someone there to go and tell on you. And, uh, and that's no different to what happened here. If you read verse 12, we see that there are the, 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 the people who were claiming there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so there's always someone that will come and spread the word that you are not doing what you're supposed to do. We call them snitches. We have various names for them. So let's take a look. If you can cast your imagination back 2,600 years ago and on this massive plain in Babylon, the plain of Dura, there's this great statue 90 feet high. If you've ever uh, been across New York Harbor and seen the Statue of Liberty, that's about 130 feet high. So he was pretty close to the size of the Statue of Liberty. And there were thousands of VIPs from all over the empire. And they come to worship this idol. Can you imagine the colorful clothes, the guests? You know, the... Uh, all been down to Meyer and got their best suits on and the ladies have got their great clothing on, so colourful. Uh, what a, a great time they were going to have. And there's a reporter from the Babylon Herald. He's come along and he's going to report on, on the excitement of this day. And then the press secretary stands up to get the crowd's attention. King Nebuchadnezzar has decreed that when the orchestra begins to play, you must fall down on your knees before this image. Maybe there's some there that didn't want to fall down. Maybe they, they were just there and they, they'd just come for the day out, just to enjoy themselves. But the herald then said, See over there? There's the king's soldiers. See over there? There's a burning furnace. If you don't bow down before the image, those soldiers are going to come and collect you and throw you into that burning furnace. You see, it then became a matter of life and death. The flames were shooting upwards. They could, uh, I'm sure they could smell the smoke. Everyone is in silence and in fear. And then the band 
the, the leader of the band stands up and taps his baton, waiting for his hand to fall on the downbeat. The music begins to play and everyone falls to their knees except three men, three young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You see, I believe as we look into that image, these three men weren't looking at the image of gold. They were looking up to the God of heaven. Amen. They were praising the God of heaven. And of course these other leaders took umbrage to that. You see, they would not bow before the idol of gold. They would not compromise their faith because they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They would not compromise their faith. Unlike many people who today believe that all that glitters is gold. They didn't come to that kind of belief. They were willing to break the mold and be different to the world. Are we willing today to break the mold and be different to the world? Some people are asking where Daniel was at this time. We don't know where Daniel was. We're not told where Daniel was. But obviously he wasn't there because Daniel wouldn't have bowed either. He may have been out on some, uh, uh, some uh, ambassadorship doing some work elsewhere but he wasn't there at this time. So we notice three things. And I'd like to say a little bit about a dictator. A dictator is someone who, uh, usually a colourful person. But one thing about a dictator is constantly alone. Maybe they become a little bit paranoid at times. Maybe they become so enamored in their own power that they think they've got absolute power and everyone has to bow down before them. And so in building this monument, this idol, Nebuchadnezzar was showing how great he was. He was there to glorify himself. In chapter 2 we learned about the, uh, as I said before, about the, uh, the head of gold and the, um, the Medo-Persian Empire the, and the, the bronze, the Greece, Greek Empire and the iron and clay, the Roman Empire. But this statue of gold showed that he was so powerful as a ruler of the world. He was trying to show that he was even greater than God. He had forgotten that Daniel had told him he would only serve as king because the God of heaven had placed him there. And we can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 13 which we don't have time to do today. Secondly, it was there to deify men. The deification of men. We are told that the statue was an image of a man. We're not quite sure about that but the Septuagint actually says that he was an image of a man. It represented the best of industrial and scientific knowledge of that day. It was an attempt to, to look at what man can do 
and what power and money can do. Both the Tower of Babel and the Nebuchadnezzar statue represent what we call humanism. Humanism is a philosophy that dethrones God. Humanism is a philosophy that enthrones man. Listen to what the Humanist Manifesto says. Number one, humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. So humanists will tell us that God didn't create it. We don't know how it got there, it must have been a big bang. But God certainly didn't do it. Humanism says that man is a part of nature and is emerged as a result of a continuous process. So humanism teaches evolution. The Bible says that one kind cannot become another kind. That mm. one species cannot change into another species. And yet what is taught to your children in schools today? Right through from primary, they learn all about dinosaurs, mm. right through to secondary and right through to university. By the time they get to university, if they don't understand creationism, you've lost them. Yes. Thankfully, my kids have grown up and they believe in God. Yes. They believe in creation. And... Um, you know, we believe in microevolution, in speciation, there's changes within the species, but one species cannot change to another. Traditional dogmatic or authoritarian religions place, replace God. And they actually say that ritual or creed above human needs do a disservice to the human species. In other words, if you're here this morning, well, You'll be crazy, you know. What are you doing here, folks? You know, we're all crazy, according to the world, according to humanism. And so, we being here this morning, we said that we're doing a disservice to society. But we all know differently. If it was not for God, if it was not for Christ, if it was not for the church, we wouldn't have had our hospitals and, and universities and things that we have today. Okay, number four. Humanism affirms that moral values derive their source from human experience. Why is the world in such turmoil today? Why are you going to vote in a few weeks' time in a plebiscite for same-sex marriage? Those morals come from the world. One man, one woman. You see, the world has gone astray. There's no wonder Christ has to return to sort it all out. As someone prayed this morning, we look forward in, antici in anticipation to his return. And so, moral values derive their source from human experience. And sadly, many millions today worship at the altar of humanism. It is the most popular religion in the Western world today, humanism. Number three, false worship. That's the negative outcome that comes from this image. You see, true worship can never be coerced. 
You come here to worship this morning of your own free will. You come to worship because you love God. Amen? Yes. Nebuchadnezzar's threat of the fiery furnace for any foolish non-conformist is the indicator that blows the cover on the whole Babylonian system. No one was gathering on the plain of Dura voluntarily. Not one person bowed before the statue with love in their hearts. Nebuchadnezzar had a beautiful city. He had the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the old world. He had a magnificent orchestra. And yet he had to force the people to fall down and worship. That's what dictators do. Look at North Korea. Those people out there cheering because they, they want to be out there cheering. And if they're not cheering, then they face the furnace. You see, you cannot force worship. Any worship that is compulsory is false worship. Notice how Nebuchadnezzar used music to induce the worship. You see, music is a powerful tool. Why do we use music in church? To praise God. The Bible has a lot to say about worship. The Bible has a lot to say about music. That's why we have the book of Psalms. Music was created to honor and glorify God. But as is true of many of God's creations, the devil has taken it and made it his own tool. That is why we have to be careful about the kind of music that we play in churches. You know, some say it's okay to bring rock and roll into churches, to bring heavy rock music into churches, as long as the words are okay. I even doubt the words are okay. You know? One of our girls from church was invited to Planet Shakers. And the girl that invited her there also invited a non-Christian. So our girl thought, well, I'll go along and it'd be great to witness to this non-Christian. Within the short period of time, she actually walked out. It was a rock concert. How can you worship God when it's just a concert? You see, it's selfish, as Pastor spoke about. You know, it's so I call it soulish, soulish music, not spiritual music. Some music is uplifting, some music is innocuous, but some of it is really, really harmful. And as parents, we've got to be careful to, to know what our kids are listening to when they've got their bedroom door closed. Someone wrote this. Let me write the music of a nation and I will determine its morals. Let me write the music of a nation and I will determine its morals. Multiple choice question. Was it Mickey Mouse? Abraham Lincoln? John Lennon? Adolf Hitler? If you said Adolf Hitler, then you win. If you listen to the wrong kind of music, you lose. You see, the devil has used music 
to get to our young people. He uses it to draw them away into drugs and immorality. I've worked in prisons for 43 years. I see at least a hundred new people a week come through those doors. 35 yesterday. Most of them addicted to drugs. Addicted to a life that uh, isn't really life. Addicted to practices that have destroyed their lives and the lives of their loved ones. Have our mother say to me, I wish my son would be put into prison. At least I know he would be safe. It's a horrible world out there. A shocking world. Certainly not the world that God would have us live in. So, folks, if you're listening to the wrong kind of music, then I suggest that you turn it off. Put on some good praise and worship songs. That's what I did this morning. I got up and out of the shower. I got praise and worship songs while I'm on in the shower. I'm driving to pick up Brother Joe. I had songs of praise and worship on because they uplift you. They uplift your spirit to bring you closer to God. Amen. I just love those songs we sang this morning. They've got the word of God in there. So if you're struggling or you're troubled and you're not really growing in your Christian life, try listening to praise music. Not once a week, but seven days a week. And I guarantee at the end of that week, you'll be more uplifted and walking closer with God as long as it's the right music. Amen? Okay, they would not bow. Verses 15 to 17. Now if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and bagpipe, and all the kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you will not worship, you will, not, you will immediately be cast into the fire of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God, and what God is there that who can deliver you out of my hands. Now listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. If it be so, our God, whom, you, whom we save, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He summoned the three before him. He said, is it true that you do not serve my gods? I'm going to give you a second chance. At least he was fair. I'll give you a second chance. He called them by their Babylonian names, not their Jewish names. And it's as if they were saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you can change our names. But you cannot change our hearts. You can try to make us live in your, uh, in your culture, but you can't take us away from our God. 
And as we just read that passage, it was a, a, a message of true faith, real faith. God, if you give me good health, people say. Lord, if you give me plenty of money, give me a good job, give me a husband or a wife. Remember my son? He went to work in Western Australia. He was gone for six months and he was working in the mines over there as an electrician. And he used to come back every few weeks and he said, Dad, if I stay over there, he said, I'm never going to find a wife. They're all, they're all men. So after six months he came home and then for about two years, every night I prayed with him for God to send him the right woman. <laughs> I said, how are you going to know when the right one comes along? He said, I'll know, Dad. I'll know. After about two years, he came home. Dad, I found her. That was five years ago. <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He's building a house, you know. And, uh, and then I keep saying, when are you going to propose? Dad, when I finish the house. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. In my father's house are many mansions. And he's going to, Jesus is coming back for his bride. And I just see the picture there of my son building his house for his bride-to-be. And, uh, you know, if you do all this for me, people say, God, I will serve you. Prosperity gospel preaches that, you know. You can't give God. God will give it back to you. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Unfortunately, people bail out on God when God doesn't come up with the goods. You see, what are you going to do when God doesn't give it to you? False teaching. False worship. See, God is not a heavenly puppet that's controlled by strings of your prayers. Only the kind of faith that will get you through the fire is the kind of faith that these three young men have. I know you are able, but even if you don't, I will serve you. See, these guys were willing to die. Job had that kind of faith. He wrote in, uh, in Job 13.15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so, when they have this kind of faith, when they practice this faith, what happens? They would not burn. The king is so furious that it's him that's burning. It's him that's on fire with rage. He says, heat the fire to seven times its normal heat. I don't know how he would do that. Some say if you put a little bit more oxygen in, well, you know, with bellows, then the fire will get hotter. Most theologians say it's an idiomatic way of saying, make it as hot as possible. And we can guarantee that they did that. Because as the, the, the three men were thrown into the fire, the fire swallowed up the soldiers that were, burned them up, that were thrown in there. Nebuchadnezzar looks down into the fire and is amazed because he sees four men in the fire. There's been much debate about who the fourth man was. Some scholars say it was a Christophany. It was the pre-existing Christ. 
Majority, majority of uh, Jewish scholars identify him as an angel. And you see in verse 28, he's called an angel. The Talmud asserts that he's the, uh, an angel of God. But without being dogmatic, we know it was God's man at the right time. God was in there with these three young men. You see, only the ropes that were binding them were burned. They were unharmed. That's, that's a miracle, folks. That's a miracle. When you are in the fire, God is in there with you. Five years ago now, I think it's 2011, Annette and I were in New York. My wife had it, sorry. And we were leaving in New York and going to the airport the following morning, leaving the hotel. We were in the Grand Central Hotel there. And I said to her, I'm a bit of a miser, and I said, I'm not going to pay for a taxi. We'll, we'll get a shuttle. Anyhow, I, 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 I spoke to the concierge, and he said, well, I'll tell you where the shuttle goes for. I think it's about $6 each. So I said, I'll get the shuttle. And uh, I walked around there, and it was pretty dark in those streets where I walked. And I, I got to my the destination where the shuttle was to leave from 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I saw this gang of youths across the road. They were black youths. And um, I thought, Lord, I've had it here. I've had it here. And I started to walk and they started to follow. I said, Lord, protect me. Even if you have to send an angel, Lord, protect me. I got to the next intersection and this guy walked up. He started talking to me. He said he'd been in uh, New York for six months, but he travels around the world. But he was more interested in me. And I told him why I was there and that I was going home in the morning. And um, I said, my hotel's that way. And he said, yeah, I'll walk with you. We got to the hotel. I said, I'm here now. He said, yes, I know. I turned around to say goodbye. He wasn't there. There was no one there. Is God with you in the fiery furnace? I started to weep. I went up to the eighth floor in the Grand Central Hotel where we were staying. I told my wife, she began to weep. You know, do you believe in angels? I do. You see, if you have a problem believing the miracles of the Bible, if you have problems believing in the supernatural and that God can enter into any situation with you, then you've got a problem having a relationship with God. You will have. Some enlightened scholars have tried to remove miracles from the Bible. They just make it a book of moral lessons. One intellectual has been quoted as saying, to believe the miracles of the Bible, you must commit intellectual suicide. The scriptures say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Let me say this. 
you believe in Genesis 1.1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth he can handle all the rest if Almighty God could bring into existence ex nihilo by his word everything that exists today you can believe the rest do not lean on your own understanding as we close this chapter I want you to ask, I want to ask you the question what does this story mean to us today how do we fit into this story today there are four life lessons to be learned in the furnace first of all is persecution facing the fire deepens your commitment to God facing the fire deepens your relationship with God when you dare to be different when you dare to stand up for God whether you're in your in your school situation in your work situation wherever you may be dare to stand up for God when you refuse to bow down to the idols of this world believe me you'll be single out just like these young guys were single out 2 Timothy 3.12 says indeed everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ shall be will be persecuted never forget that I can talk all day about that but I mean I'm good all day you know if you are an event Christian you know some people go Easter Christmas weddings you'll fit right in with the world believe me you'll fit right in with the world but if you're a 24-7 Christian watch what happens you were thrown into the furnace but God will be with you perseverance don't give in to peer pressure remember the story they would not bow that was devotion our kids are under so much peer pressure today to conform to the world the Bible said do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind read the Word of God read the Word of God daily know it in your heart live it you'll be persecuted but you to have perseverance do not bow they would not bend that's determination in other words they had already determined beforehand what they were going to do what that they were going to be faithful to God you know young people you might be invited out to a party there may be drugs there determine before you go that you do not want to imbibe those drugs the first one may be the one that destroys you determine that you're not going to get drunk on alcohol you're going to walk away determine that you're not going to smoke dope I see the shattered lives every day please I implore you never ever get involved so you have to decide before you go 
to any of these parties, before you mix with your friends, what you're not going to do. All the temptations are there. Premarital sex. All the temptations are there, but turn your back on it. Turn toward God. Presence. Jesus will be with you in the fire. Here's a little bit of arithmetic. How many people went into the fire? Three. Three. How many were in there? Four. How many came out? Three. How many was left? Where's the fourth man? Folks, he's in the fire. You'll find him whenever you're in a fire. Isaiah 43 verse 2 said, And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Notice he doesn't say, God will keep you out of the fire. He doesn't say, if you walk through the fire. He says, when you walk through the fire. He said, God didn't keep these young men out of the fire. But he was in there with them. Not one hair of their head was burned. Let me ask you, would you rather stay out of the fire and miss Jesus? Or would you rather go through the fire and be with Jesus? If you miss the fire, you may miss the blessing of his presence. Problems are going to come. I'm not kidding you. I'm not, you know, sugarcoating this. Everyone has problems. And problems will come. I've had numerous in my time. And again, I don't have time to go through them all. But let me tell you this. It is during the fiery trials that we find the strength and the grace of Jesus Christ. You may say, I don't want to go into the fire. I don't like the fire. I'm afraid of the fire. Why doesn't God keep me out of the fire? The answer is we have lessons to learn in life. Purification. God uses the fire to purify you. Some of you may be going through a fire right now. You may be facing a private, personal or painful furnace. You might be asking, what is God doing? Why am I going through this fire? It could be a relationship. It could be financial. But trust in God. Trust in Him. And He'll take you out the other side. Malachi 3.3 speaks of a, a silversmith. God is a silversmith. You and I are silver. The silversmith places silver into a crucible. He puts the crucible on the heat until the silver becomes liquid. The silver sinks to the bottom and all of the impurities rise to the top. He then takes a skimmer and skims off the impurities. He carefully regulates the heat so the silver is not damaged. Just hot enough to separate the impurities so the silver remains unpolluted. 
Is that what God is doing with you right now? Do you know how the silversmith knows when the silver becomes pure? It's when he can see his own re reflection of his face in the silver. When God looked into the eyes of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, he knew they'd been purified. Let me ask you this final question. When Jesus, the silversmith, looks into your face, does he see his own nature reflected? Does he see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit? If not, thank him for the fire that purifies. I've seen many tears and sorrows how about questions for tomorrow? There have been times when I didn't know right from wrong. But if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I would not know what faith in God could do. Those were the words of Andre Crouch in a song that he wrote back in the 70s, I believe. So as we leave this morning, make up your mind. Are you going to bow to the idols of this world? Are you going to bow to the temptations of the, this world? Are you going to uh, conform to the values of this world? Are you becoming, uh, will you be a moral relativist? We say, well, what's right for you is okay, and what's right for me is okay. Well, the Bible says, Amen. That's where we get our standards from. These four men stood the test. These four men did not bow to the idols of Babylon. These four men did not bend the knee to the teaching of their culture and the religion of the day. They're in the culture, but not of the culture. If you do not bend, if you do not bow, you will not burn. Remember the end of Revelation. I know you studied through Revelation. There's a lake of fire. Unless you know Jesus. Unless you accept Christ as your Savior. In his mercy, through his grace. As we've learned this morning, you could end up into that lake of fire. But you can be delivered today if you don't know Jesus. He won't be in that fire with you. And I implore you, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, do it before you leave today. Do it before you leave today. I'm not trying to coerce you of your own volition but if you know the gospel if you know that Jesus died on the cross to take your sin and he rose on the third day that you may raise with him and live with him in glory for eternity if you don't know that for sure 
then come and see Pastor John afterwards and or myself and we'll pray with you. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, we thank you for the fires that we've had in our own lives and the purification that we've received through them. We thank you, Lord, that whatever situation we find ourselves in, we know that you are there with us, and that you are there to see us through to the end. Lord, we pray that as we leave here today, Lord, we will live with a challenge in our hearts, that we will live the life you've called us to live, that we will not be conformed to this world, but be constantly transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we'll live the Holy Spiritful life, the sanctified life, Lord, that we will be blameless upon your return. For we ask you in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.